Hold your breath. like to welcome everyone joining us for our live stream. It's just one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church with City Temple. If you want to join us for the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email. Or if you want to join us in person, come on down on Sundays at 11 a.m. here in Chelsea. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at two places today. Uh, first of all, to Psalm 145. We sang that this morning, and now we're going to read it. And then to Second Peter chapter 3. Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true, and that in your word you are revealed to us. We thank you and we praise you for that. We honor you and we worship you. Now I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and open up the word to us, that we not only would read it, but also would understand it and would live it out. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would rest on me, that I can bring your word to your people this day through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we pray all in his name. Amen. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your domain endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked will be will he, he will destroy. My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And then to Second Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder 
that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word that then, world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 1995. Uh, I'd like to say I remember it well, but I don't. Uh, but 1995. You know what's happened since 1995? Uh, and I'm using this... Uh, this little tablet computer, uh, those didn't exist in 1995, except in Star Trek. Uh, I've got a smartphone. Anybody else with a smartphone? Those didn't exist in 1995. I think you had some kind of mobile phone, but you needed a car to carry it in. You no know, personal computer. I remember uh, Chet, uh, who's been around. Many of you know Chet helped. Uh, helped me purchase my first personal computer. It had a massive, wait for it, wait for it, a massive 20 megabyte hard drive. 
I, I even asked uh, Chet's boss, I said, is that going to be enough? And he said, oh, that's plenty. And uh, within six months, I was replacing it with a 40 megabyte hard drive. It, uh, it's uh, amazing days, amazing things that have happened since 1995. You know what else has been going on since 1995? That was the time when we at City Temple first really started praying for and pursuing a new building. 1995, that's before my time here in London. Uh, and we've been going after that. And it has taken so long. And we still think, you know, we're still hoping and praying that the building is finished before Jesus comes again. Although there are some questions about that. You know, we're not, we're not totally sure. But, uh, we're, but we think, we think that the building might get finished before Jesus returns. And we've been praying for that. And many of you who followed the journey in recent years know that uh, in uh, 2018, I keep trying to say 2008, but 2018, we were working 2016, 17, thinking in 2018, January 2018, they were gonna start. And then mysteriously, we got the planning permission and everything like that. Mysteriously, the developer just went silent. And we were so frustrated. And we were kind of pulling our hair out, you know. But you know what would have happened if we would have started in January 2018? We'd have been finished in January 2020 without any money at all, just in time for the first lockdown so we could go bankrupt as a church. And we signed the new agreement with the developer in February of 2020. If it had been March of 2020, they probably wouldn't sign the agreement because of the lockdowns. And we got the money that we needed to sustain us over the next couple of years. In fact, when I look back every step of the way <laughs> since 1995, God has been doing something. And it's been an extraordinary time, amount of time to wait but one can't help but feel that once it's finally completed and opened, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. We have people in this church, people like David Mansfield, uh, the elder that was here that was praying and hoping that the Lord would do something here. There was talk about closing this church and selling off the building. But David didn't want to do that. He hung on. He waited. And at just the right time, God connected us. And we're going to, it's curious to see what the Lord is going to do. We've been praying for the next major revival, the next major outpouring of the Holy Spirit with a degree of faithfulness. We've been praying for it for a long time, but we've been praying for it with a certain degree of faithfulness and promise from the Lord since 2011 more than a decade now that we've been praying and we've been looking and we've been longing. When I look at Ukraine in this war and, you know, Putin's expectation that uh, they would just collapse. You know what? They've been expecting something like his invasion was going to happen. 
and expecting it, they prepared themselves. They got ready. That's one of the main reasons why they've been so successful so far. We still need to keep praying. And we could, I could give example after example after example. But the truth is, you know, we all struggle when it seems like God is taking his time. When it seems like God is not answering our prayers in the timing that we need. When we seem, when it seems like God's not fulfilling his promises to us. We all struggle. One of my favorite stories, I've told it before, is of two friends who were 12 years old. And one friend became a Christian at 12. And she tried to lead her other friend to Christ, but she was resistant. And this child would grow into an adult. They remained friends their whole lives. And this woman faithfully prayed for her friend. And at 83 years old, her friend received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in her life. Now, sometimes things can seem like it takes a long time. And sometimes we don't know the answer. All the time that I was crying out to God and I was so angry and I was so stressed because of the delay uh, from uh, uh, 2018 to get that building started. You know, all the time and all the time, you know, God's, it seems like he's not there. But all the time he was working. Now, we call this, this experience that we have, this thing when it doesn't seem like God is answering in the way that we think he should answer, we call it God's slowness. And God's slowness is especially difficult in a world where we're used to everything being instant. You know, in the, in the computer day, uh, I remember the day when you, you might want to download like an email and so you'd set it to download, and then you'd go and have your supper and watch a TV show or, pro, or two, and come back, and finally it's downloaded, you know, that kind of thing. And now if it doesn't download instantaneously, and now if somebody doesn't respond to our email within, you know, 10, 15 seconds, we think, well, how rude can they be? And when we condition ourselves to having everything when we want it, as we want it, it, it becomes even more difficult for us to deal with God's slowness. And then what Peter prophesied was going to happen, which has actually happened, we get all these people then who say, well, you know, God's not real. He's not answering. He's not responding. He's not doing what you've been praying for. You know, you've been praying more than a year for the Ukrainian war to be over, and it's not over yet. You've been praying for Myanmar to have a restoration of democracy. It hasn't happened yet. You've been praying for regime change in North Korea, and it hasn't happened yet. You've been praying for the salvation of a family member, and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and on and on and on and on. And you get scoffers, and you get the enemy that scoffs at us, makes fun of us, pokes at God, challenges God, questions God's integrity, tells us that God's not real. And you get tempted then to create your own religion. You know, let's do something where God's responding instantly. Let's make up our own deal and how God's going God's to be responding to us. You know, this issue of God's slowness is really, really a big issue for us, especially today. 
And it's so important that Peter addresses this issue in this chapter that we read today. Peter gives us a way to to understand God's slowness, but also he gives us a way to deal with God's slowness or process or, or live our lives sometimes in the midst of God's slowness when God seems to be very, very slow. Now, Peter tells us, first of all, in this passage, he says very clear, now, the Lord is not slow as some regard slowness. So Peter's saying, okay, the slowness thing, the slowness thing, that's kind of a perspective issue. And Peter is challenging us to shift our perspective. And Peter's effectively telling us here, the Lord's not slow as some count slowness to be. And so if you really want to flourish, if you really want to thrive, if you want to live to the fullness in the midst of that, then you've got you have to change your perspective. You have to, to shift your perspective from a human perspective, your personal human perspective, to a divine, a God-centered perspective. You have to shift your perspective from a human being who lives in time to a perspective of eternity. We have to have a radical shift in our perspective. And to have this shift in our perspective, Peter tells us that there are certain things about God that we need to know. And not only do we need to know these things, we need to believe these things. Because if you don't know it, you don't believe it. If you don't know the truth, if you don't believe the truth, you cannot shift your perspective. And let me tell you, it's, it's a struggle. I know this. I know many of you know this how much a struggle it is for us to be waiting, especially a very, very long period of time, what seems to us to be a long period of time, to be waiting and waiting and waiting, and it doesn't seem like God's moved, it doesn't seem like God's acted, and we think, what in the world is going on? It can be so painful and so difficult, and the problem with us as human beings is we always assume that our perspective is the right one. 100% of the time, we assume that our perspective is the right one. If you didn't assume that your perspective was right, you couldn't live in this world. You know, if you didn't assume that your perspective was telling you that there's a green man in front of you and that the cars are stopping, you would never cross the road. But that only comes to be a problem when what you think is a green man is not. And the car that seems to be stopping isn't. And so we have to check our perspectives. And that's what Peter is telling us here. You've got to shift your perspective from human to to God, from time to eternity. And these are the things Peter tells us that we need to know and we need to believe. First of all, we need to know and believe that the Lord is in control. God is in control. Peter Peter tells us, God is the one who created the universe. God created the universe intentionally. It wasn't an accident. It just didn't pop up there. God had a plan. God had a purpose. By the way, when God created the universe as it now exists, God created it to be temporary. 
Our world, our universe was never intended by God to be permanent. It was always intended to be temporary. And Peter tells us that the Lord is in control and this Lord who was the creator, who created by his word, by the power of his word, just spoke it and it happened. This Lord will be the recreator, that there will be a new heavens and a new earth that comes under a different set of laws of physics and different realities, and it's gonna be a place where righteousness dwells. The Lord is in control. He is all powerful. He speaks and it happens. Then Peter says the second thing we have to understand and believe is that the Lord is timeless. The Lord exists in eternity. God is not bound to time as we are. God knows the the end from the beginning. God sees the present, the past, the future, all simultaneously. And Peter says, to illustrate this, he says, you know, with the Lord, and it's an illustration, it's not intended by Peter to be dogmatic, but he said, you know, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. That's extraordinary. I'm not going to live that long, you know, not very long at all. I did a little computation. I don't know if my math's right. I should have asked Ella. But uh, don't know if my math's right. But I tried to figure that out. And so I think if the Lord speaks to you, like you're praying, says, God, God, when will you answer me? And God says, I'll be with you in a minute. That means it's about 8.4 months. So, you know, just so you're, you're, you're figuring that out. You know, God is timeless. And God has an eternal purpose that will be fulfilled. His eternal purpose in your life will be fulfilled. His eternal purpose in this church and in City Temple will be fulfilled. And our God, because he is timeless, because he's an eternal God, he is also a generational God. Our God deals in generations. Uh, That's become easier for me since I've been the the leader of a church that's uh, uh, a bit over 380 years old. You know, the thing you learn about leading a church uh, that's over 380 years old is that God got along fine without me for a very long time, and he can probably get along fine without me for a very long time after I'm gone. You know, that means that, you know, 20, 21 years seems like a long time to me, In the span of 380 years, that's not even, what, 5%. So it's really quite extraordinary. God works in our lives, but God is also putting things in place generationally. You have no idea how God is using your life, how God is interweaving your life to make a difference. It's a question I often ask people. Everybody, uh, how many people have heard of Billy Graham? You know, most people have heard of Billy Graham, right? Just about everybody here, yeah. Uh, Who knows who led Billy Graham to Jesus? If you've heard this illustration, you should know. A guy named Mordecai Ham. How many of you had heard of Mordecai Ham? A couple, not many. Okay, now here's the bigger question. Who led Mordecai Ham to Jesus? Anybody know? 
I don't know. Who led the guy to Jesus? Who led the Mordecai M to Jesus? Who led the guy to Jesus? Who led the guy to Jesus? Who led the guy to Jesus? Who led Mordecai Ham to Jesus? Who led Billy Graham to Jesus? You haven't a clue, right? I don't know. Who's the most important person in that stream of leading people to Jesus? The first one. You have no idea how God's using your life for the generations. And we often have no understanding about what the previous generations have done for us and how they've deposited into our lives. We have to shift our perspective because the Lord is timeless. Also, Peter tells us that the Lord is patient. The Lord is patient. He's like a master craftsman that takes his time to create something or like a determined lover. You know, all guys who, who, are, who are looking for a bride, uh, at least who's going to get one, understands that you don't just walk out on the street and say, hey, woman, you need to be my, you need to be my babe. <laughs> that, that's not very effective. Yeah, you, know, you could probably do that in Pakistan, <laughs> but not in a lot of other places, yeah. And I certainly could have done that to Karen uh, and expected us to be here today. You know, it takes time. It takes patience. And Peter is saying the Lord is patience, is patient. He takes the time that he needs. Now, the Lord is patient. He takes this time because he doesn't want anybody to perish. But he wants everybody to come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. So he's patient. Sometimes I don't want God to be patient, right? Sometimes I want God to strike him down. I, I used to pray that, uh, not totally that uh, way about my dad, but I was close to it, you know? I just didn't like my dad, you know? I, I was just like, God, come on, take him out. Take him out so my mom could have a good life, you know, do this kind of stuff. And you know when my dad became a Christian? The day before he died. The Lord is patient for people's salvation. He's patient because he wants us to receive the fullness. You know, there's a lot of times when you're saying, God, you know, God, give me, give me a wife or give me a husband. And God says, well, you know, if I gave you a wife or I gave you a husband, you'd mess them up. You'd mess them up. You got to deal with issues in your own life first. Oh, God, give me this other job. Well, you know, you need to have the training. If I gave you that job, you'd lose it because you're not ready for it. So God's patient. He wants us to receive the fullness, but he's patient until we're able to accommodate it. His patience, as Peter says, is like salvation for us. He's preparing us and wanting us to be prepared. Just like I said to the kids earlier, about getting a car. We, you know, in the United States, having a car, your driving license as a teenager is kind of a, a rite of passage. A lot of people want that, but you gotta be prepared for it. You know, the parent who gives a child a car before they're ready, before they're responsible, is the parent that will sign the child's death certificate. We understand that instinctively. Or you think about 
the, uh, the, 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 the sports person, you know, one, maybe the footballer, you know, the footballer who sits on, sit, is sitting on the sidelines. What do they have to do? They need to get ready. They need to be go, ready to go in at the right moment, at the right time. So sometimes God's patient because he's preparing, he's preparing us. Just like if God would have given us the building at any number of times, the city temple, the building, any number of times earlier, city temple may not have been ready to receive it and may not have been ready to walk into God's will. So the, God, the Lord is patient, and Peter tells us the last thing here, is that the Lord has a plan and a purpose. He's got this plan and a purpose. What exists now will be destroyed and it will be replaced with new. God has determined outcomes that cannot be changed and he has devised outcomes filled with promise for us. And so we have to shift our perspective to understand that the, even though it seems like the Lord is slow, he is not slow as some understand slowness to be. That the Lord is in control the Lord has the power. He's got the perspective. He's a timeless God. He's a patient God. And he's got a plan and a purpose that he's determined to fulfill as we walk with him. So then Peter goes on to ask a question. And he says, okay, in light of this whole slowness idea, and now hopefully that you, you know the things that you need to believe in order to shift your perspective, there's a big question. Once we have a God-centered and eternal perspective, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? How do we live? How do we flourish when we have this perspective about God, this eternal perspective? And Peter gives us some suggestions. Now, when he's talking about a life of holiness, what he means is a life that's set apart for God. He's not talking about a better than others attitude. He's not talking about you being perfect. Holiness is about you being reserved for God and God's purposes. And we are called to live a life of holiness, of being set apart for God. And that word godliness, we looked at that um, a couple of weeks ago, the idea of godliness, that word is about living practically as a Christian. So I'm set apart for God, but now how do I live day by day in ways that reflect my faith in Jesus Christ? That's what godliness is all about. How do I live according to God's will in my workplace? How do I live according to God's will in my family? What kinds of things should I do? What kinds of decisions do I make? How do I pay attention? That's the whole issue around godliness. And so the question here, another way to put it is, how do we move and flourish in the midst of God's slowness? And Peter gives us some suggestions. He says, be diligent to be found in Jesus, by Jesus, without spot or blemish. Now the idea about be diligent is do your best. Be zealous about this. Work at it. 
Commit yourself to it. It is not a word of perfection. There's no expectation for perfection. Remember, grace is the model here. But even though we're under grace, even though there's no expectation that we'll have perfection in this world, we'll be given perfection when Jesus comes again, but we still have to invest ourselves to do, do our best to be found in Jesus, by Jesus, without any spot or blemish. Now again, this is like the sportsman on the sideline who is not been called to play yet, but they're waiting. And as they wait, you know, I've seen these guys, they stretch out. And they'll do some running back and forth. They want to be ready because who's the hero? I mean, I've seen enough uh, football matches to know the guy who comes off right in the, uh, the 87th minute as a substitute who comes off and then drives the ball into uh, and, and, and kicks a goal. And then we're like, wow, that person is great and that person is the hero. You know, and I'm tempted to say, well, wait a second. They only ran around for about a minute or so. How can you think of them as a hero? What about these poor guys that were running for the last 90 minutes? You know, it's crazy. But we consider them a hero. Why? Because they were ready. They were prepared. They worked hard for that moment when they need something to do and they need to act. And so they were ready without spot or blemish. They were, they were ready dealing with their issues so they didn't make mistakes. Now we do that too. I mean, we do that by repenting, by dealing with our sin. Don't let sin uh, run around by forgiving others. But we work at that. So he says, be diligent. He says also, be diligent to be found at peace. To be at peace, that's that absence of conflict and striving. It also refers to God's shalom, his sense of well-being. We need to seek this peace with God, with other people, and with ourselves. And we need to be diligent to seek it out, to seek it out. Sometimes it's through forgiving. Sometimes it's through seeking reconciliation. Well, we have to work at this. We need to be diligent for it. And then Peter tells us a third thing is that you need to regard the Lord's patience, his apparent slowness in your life as salvation. We need to understand if God is being slow, there's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. God is preparing us. God is getting something ready for us. We don't know what it is, and we may not ever understand it. But we have to trust God and regard his patience as our salvation, an opportunity, not, not our eternal salvation, but our healing, our development, our growth in that sense. It's that opportunity to prepare ourselves the Lord is patient, that means there's more that we can do to be ready. Excuse me. Then Peter goes on and says another thing. 
You need to take care. You need to guard yourself so that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your stability. And this is a big one. We are in a time and in a season uh, in, in church history, particularly in the West, where churches are filled with lawless people. And by lawless, I don't necessarily mean people who do their own thing and disobey the Lord, although it can include that. Lawlessness is a lack of discipline. That's what it is. Lawlessness is a lack of discipline. So if we're not disciplining ourselves about how we use our money, if we're not disciplining ourselves about how we use our time, if we're not disciplining ourselves about seeking the Lord, our devotions, about being with God's people, I mean, all those things take discipline. They take commitment. They take work. And if you're not willing to do that, there is error involved in that where we can easily be carried away. Because frankly, it's very difficult to maintain your discipline when everybody around you is undisciplined. Very, very difficult. Yet, we need to take care. We need to guard ourselves, to protect ourselves, so that we're not carried away by the error of lawless people. Because if you lose your discipline, or you don't develop your discipline, you lose your stability. If you lose your discipline, you lose your stability. You all know that I spent 71 days in the hospital. And it was a very difficult time for me, uh, but I slept through a lot of it. It was a really difficult time for Karen. And a difficult time for many in the church family. But you know what carried Karen through, in part, was the discipline that she brought into that time. She had spent years, and we had spent years together, disciplining ourselves in our relationship, disciplining ourselves in our faithfulness. So when the crunch came, and the things were really, really difficult, and everything in you you want to quit, Karen was able to keep going, keep focused, even in the darkest moments because of that. So take care not to be carried away by the error of lawless, undisciplined people because you'll lose your stability. And if you lose your stability, anything can knock you over. You know, you think about it like this. If I did this, most of you would have a hard time knocking me over. Like, I'm ready for you. There's a couple. It's Jovan's birthday, so I might let him do it. But, uh, you know, it would be kind of difficult. But if I'm, if I'm kind of like this, you know, even a child could knock me over. So if we lose our stability, we are vulnerable to everything going on in the world around us. And then the final thing Peter tells us, if we're going to flourish, if we're going to thrive, especially in the midst of feeling that God's being slow, we need to grow and cause ourselves to grow and keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. This idea of grow is something that you're involved with. It's something that you're engaged with. 
And you need to grow and keep on growing. It's an ongoing thing in both the grace, knowing that God's grace and favor is on your life, knowing that God forgives you, knowing that you can forgive others. You know, this grace, knowing that if you fall, okay, get back up. If you fail, it happens. We got to grow in that knowledge of grace so that our failures and our stumbling doesn't destroy us. And in the knowledge of Jesus, it's the only way. You got to get to know Jesus more and more and more. And it doesn't happen accidentally. It takes a commitment. And so Peter says, if you're going to flourish, especially in the midst of God's slowness, you need to grow and keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's essential for us. So the Lord is not slow as some regard slowness to be. And when we recognize that, we can also recognize how to live and flourish even when it seems like God is being slow. And he isn't. Back in September 2021, I felt like the Lord speak this word. And, uh, and I think that anybody can embrace it. Everything is happening in my own timing. I am not slow, as some understand slowness to be. I know your frustration, he was speaking to me, but rest in me. You will see how my timing is perfect and leads to maximum blessing. And by the way, we have seen the perfection of God's timing even in the few months after September 2021. November 2022, I felt like the Lord said this. In January, uh, that's this, this month, all will be ready for Chelsea to move forward. I am not slow in keeping my promises, as some understand slowness to be. And look what the Lord's doing. It's moving. He's going. You know, we are, we are waiting for the film fulfillment of so many of God's promises. We're still waiting for the building, but it's coming. We're still waiting for revival, but it's coming. There's many promises in my own life that God's spoken that I'm still waiting for the fulfillment of, but it's coming. There are promises God has spoken in your life that you may be waiting for the fulfillment of, but those promises, the fulfillment of them is coming. But understand, you can enjoy life in the meantime. That's God's intention for us. His intention is for us to enjoy life. His intentions for us are to flourish. And we can prepare ourselves for the fulfillment of these promises in the meantime. He's called us to prepare ourselves. He's called us to be ready. But we have to choose to trust the Lord. Having faith because of what God has gone through in Jesus, in the cross, in the empty tomb. Jesus, Jesus Christ becomes our guarantee. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all God's promises. As Paul says, in Jesus Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. And it always helps me to remember that Israel waited for more than 500 years from the time that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, more than 500 years for that promise to come, pass, come to pass, and even longer for other promises. But they were fulfilled in Jesus. 
God will continue to fulfill his promises. And Jesus Christ is our guarantee. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you, we worship you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that you'd help us to shift our perspectives. Lord, shift us away from our human-centered perspective to a God-centered perspective. Shift us away from our time-bound perspective to an eternal perspective. Shift us away, Lord God, into faith, knowing that you are a good God who is in control, who is eternal, who has a plan, and who will show his love to us every single day. Help us to live in that reality, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, so that we live in faithfulness and joy to the glory and praise of Jesus. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's worship the Lord.